Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of medieval warfare. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is Japanese castles. <laughs> Some very cool places. It says here in my notes that Japanese castles are very impressive structures. They are. Some of my favorite stuff ever seeing in Japan is the castles. Yeah, they are super cool looking. And if you haven't seen one before, you should totally Google it because it's hard to describe all the little details. But man, they're cool looking places. Yeah, I mean, they just touch on so many different things. They are beautiful buildings with the great architecture. They're super historically relevant, and many of them are some sort of museum or something today. Also, the ones that you can climb to the top of have an amazing view, usually, of the surrounding city and countryside. Mm -hmm. Plus, the whole ground sometimes of the castle is going to include a lot of green space, maybe a garden. There's just a lot to see, a lot of reasons to enjoy castles in Japan. Totally. And if you want to compare them to European castles, when I think of castles, medieval castles, most of the ones in Europe are kind of gray, a lot of brick and stone. And I mean, they're cool looking, but they're not as like showy, I feel like. Yeah, I think of big stone walls Yeah, is what comes to my mind. More utilitarian kind of. Yeah. Than Japanese castles anyway. Yeah, Japanese castles are built on a stone base. But the walls and the buildings are usually made from wood and plaster. Right. And uh, usually in Europe, like you said, you got these big walls and then there might be a moat with a drawbridge. And I don't know a ton about European castles, but it seems like that's kind of the main defense is walls and a moat, right? Yeah, just big thick stone walls. But we'll get into the very serious defensive capabilities of Japanese castles. Like, they went all out. Yeah, medieval warfare in Japan and in Europe were very different. Part of that is because the Japanese didn't fear outside invasion at that time, being an island country. They were more so worried with internal civil wars yeah. and internal strife. Yep. So they didn't have a castle town that they extended walls around because they weren't worried about an invading army coming in and slaughtering everybody. Mm -hmm. It was just wars between different warlords inside Japan. Yeah. I mean, there were castle towns. They just didn't have walls around them. Right. the castle was the only thing that was really important to protect and that the other attacking forces would kind of want to go for, right? Today, there are more than 100 castles that still remain in Japan, at least partially. Some of them are fully rebuilt and restored. Some of them are in various states of decay. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them are really cool to go see. I think I saw there were like 11 or 12 that are still considered original castles. I think it's exactly a dozen, 12 of them. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, Himeji Castle, the one that we visited... Original. Is one of those originals, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And in Japanese, castle is pronounced shiro. But if you attach that onto the end of a word, it's pronounced jo. So like Osaka Castle is going to be called Osaka-jo in Japanese. Yep. 
That just makes me think of this guy living in Osaka named Joe. And he's like, oh, hey, it's Osaka Joe. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't, I didn't have that thought. I didn't either until just now. It just popped into my head. I don't know. Yeah, so Osaka Joe, Himeji Joe, they're talking about castles. Right. Even though it's the same word, pronounced differently as a suffix. If you listen to the episode about the Japanese language, we talked about how kanji can have different pronunciations. This is one of those situations. Let's get in the Wayback Machine. Okay. Where did castles start in Japan? What did they evolve from? Well, like most of the world, the first defensive fortresses were basically these pretty simple wooden stockades. So think of like a little wooden fort. You got these walls made out of sharpened poles sticking into the air. Maybe you got like a wooden guard tower or something like that. Pretty basic. Yeah, similar to what Roman armies were famous for building uh, to camp out at night. Yeah, reading about this reminded me of Assassin's Creed. Some of those take place in Rome, and there were some little encampments that had exactly this kind of defense. (laughs) Yeah. thought that was funny. In the 7th century, the first walled palace complexes start showing up in Japan. And those eventually, I believe, directly led to the castles we think of today as Japanese castles. But they didn't have the big keeps. They weren't nearly as grandiose. But that was like the first wall, completely walled-in structures in Japan. So that brings us then to the 15th century which is where we get the appearance of what we would consider the classic Japanese castle. Right. And in this time period, the government's authority was weakening and led to an era called the Sengoku period, which was an era of warring states, a lot of internal conflict in Japan between different factions. So these small independent states would build castles on mountains to defend their territory. Yeah. Most of the castles in Japan were built in the last 50 years of the Sengoku period, Mm -hmm. but many of them didn't even survive the Sengoku period because there was a lot of warfare and strife going on at the time. Yeah, there was a lot going on. And this is when, you know, all those samurai were running around. This is kind of the, uh, the golden age of samurai, you could say, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I saw at the peak, there were an estimated 5,000 castles in Japan. Yeah, and only, what do you say, 100 left these days? Yeah, 100 even partially remaining today. Yeah, so that's a lot of castles for how big Japan is. I mean, it's only like the size of California. So think of 5,000 castles packed into California. A lot of castles. Yeah. And these were placed in strategic places like trade routes, roads, or rivers. And throughout this warring states period, there were a lot of changes. Like they were really figuring out how to build these castles in the best way. The architectural and defensive ideas were developing in a lot of different ways. And castles were not only defensive fortresses, but they also became residences eventually for the daimyo, which were the feudal lords that were kind of ruling over these different areas. And also, these castles were not just tactical structures. They were also meant to intimidate their rivals with their size and elaborate architecture. So that explains kind of why they're a little more visually impressive than European castles in some ways. Yeah. And with the feudal lords living in them, it was also kind of the seat of government 
Mm-hmm. You know, this is where their territory would get managed from. Right. And it was almost exclusively samurai that lived inside the castle grounds. The closer to the keep you were, the higher ranking your family. Yeah. And these samurai were basically the army for the daimyo. Like they were there to protect the castle. So some of the pieces that they developed during this period were the stone base for the central keep, these baileys, and the central keep itself. And we'll talk about those a little more in the architecture section that's coming up. But one of the things that prompted all these changes too was the introduction of firearms into Japan. You know, they started introducing a lot more stone bases to kind of protect from that. Yeah, another interesting contrast between castles in Europe and castles in Japan is that the advent of firearms and cannons kind of ended the era of castles in the West. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, for various reasons, it actually helped proliferate castles that they had firearms. Yeah. Um, I think part of it was the cannons they had in Japan weren't as big or scary. So they just extended the furthest walls out far enough of the castles that you couldn't do damage to the main keep from the cannons that they had available to them. Yeah. And there weren't a ton of cannons in Japan either. Like they were more in the West and they were expensive and hard to get in Japan. And the ones they did get were generally smaller. So they weren't really worried about cannons like taking out walls and that kind of thing. Yeah. Japan just didn't have the industrial capacity with metals at that time to make huge iron cannons. Yep. So they got a few off of ships and stuff from uh, other countries. Mm Mm-hmm. So in the late 16th century, that was kind of the end of the Warring States period, Japan was unified. It was a more prosperous time. So castles became a lot bigger. Like before, they were mostly built on mountains and hills because that's a strategically advantageous place to be. But in the Edo period, more of them were built in the plains or on small hills to serve as homes for the daimyo, those feudal lords, and also as administrative and military headquarters. And also just... I mean, these big, pretty places are kind of symbols of authority. You see this place and you're like, oh, whoever is there is super important. So every episode, it seems to come up, but we're going to talk about the Tokugawa Shogunate real quick. Hey guys, welcome back. Because Tokugawa Ieyasu, who is the first Tokugawa Shogun, permitted only one castle per prefecture. And he also banned repairing castles without permission. So this is a big reason, I think, how you go from 5,000 castles to 100 today. It was a time of peace. They didn't need castles all over the place anymore. And they served as a local base of power. So you could see how the people in charge would want to limit that. Yeah. And also the shogunate, since they were trying to centralize power in Edo, which was the old name for Tokyo... I also saw that the daimyos, the lords in each part of Japan, had to alternate living one year in their domain and one year in Edo so that they couldn't get too much power in their one area. They had to be going back and forth so that Edo had its hand in everything. It always knew what was going on in different parts of the country. That's a clever and interesting policy. Yeah, pretty smart. But the Tokugawa shogunate lasted for a few hundred years, so... yeah. They were, they were doing pretty well, or at least a couple hundred years, I should say, maybe. Yeah. So in 1868, 
I know we've mentioned this many times before, that was the Meiji Restoration. So the fall of the Tokugawa shogunate, the emperor of Japan was restored to power, and many castles were destroyed as relics of the past in this period. And then many, many more were destroyed later on in, when World War II came around. Not surprising. Yeah. Though some castles have been rebuilt in the modern era, mm-hmm. um, generally as museums or cultural sites. Yeah, and a lot of the reconstructions were built with steel-reinforced concrete, which is obviously not the way that they were originally built. But I saw that there's been a, a movement recently towards preserving those traditional construction methods. You know, they're going back to the old wood and plaster methods of construction. Yeah, there definitely have been some. I saw a video where they were putting together these massive beams with no nails or anything. Just they cut the joints to like fit each other perfectly. And it's really impressive to see when it's like a hundred foot log yeah. that's like seamlessly fitting into like some other pillars. Like it's really incredible how they built that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some stuff about Japanese woodworking and it's incredible what they can do. Like from really small things to really huge things, they use the same kinds of techniques where they're using like these little planes to shave down the wood by hand to like really specific tolerances, like fractions of a millimeter, so that they fit together perfectly without any nails. It's incredible. Yeah, they're putting together these two huge logs, and they don't have to like hammer them or anything. They just slide together exactly perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's really incredible how they can get so precise with it. Yeah, it really is. Paul, did you see what the... Which castle was the last one ever to be invaded by an invading force in Japan? No, I didn't. Just guess what year it was the last castle was invaded. Um, 1600. 1945. What? Yeah. Shuri Castle in Okinawa was attacked by Americans. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And that castle, it actually fell to the Americans but it was rebuilt in 1992 and is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Wow. And here's a fun fact. I will be at that very castle the day before this episode is published. Wow. (laughs) Picks or it didn't happen. There'll be picks. Don't you worry. (laughs) Good. Should we move on to architecture of these castles? Let's talk about the architecture because it is so smart the way that they, I mean, they just came up with all these different techniques of making sure that these things were impenetrable. Kind of amazing. Yeah. So we mentioned before that they almost always incorporate the landscape Mm -hmm. into the defense of the castle. So Mm -hmm. that's an important part of selecting the location. You're going to want to be on a hill or in some defensible position. Yeah. And sometimes they would even build hills from scratch just to put a castle on top of them if they didn't have the appropriate point, you know, near the trade route or river or whatever that they decided was the best place to put it. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the intimidation factor of the castles. And part of being on a hill is that you can see it from a long ways away and it looks really big, but it also gives you the advantage of having great sight from it too. Mm-hmm. You can really control the surrounding landscape because you can see so well from on the top of the keep that's on top of a hill. 
you end up getting really high above some of the surrounding landscape sometimes. Yeah. If anybody's coming for you, you're going to know it before they get anywhere near you. (laughs) And the castles are all constructed within variations of a defined architectural scheme. Mm -hmm. So you'll see variations in the castles, but a lot of similarities too. Yeah. I mean, they could be all different sizes, different numbers of baileys or moats or whatever, but they kind of figured out the best way to do it and they all pretty much followed that pattern. Yeah. And it was probably a lot of the same architects getting hired to build castles for different lords. Could be. Did you see that in your research? I did see there was a famous family that was known for building the bases of castles. Okay. Building those big uh, stone bases. Cool. So on the very top of this hill, the very highest structure, you're going to have the castle tower or the castle keep, which in Japanese is referred to as the Tenshukaku. And there could also be other smaller buildings kind of connected to it, or it might be standing alone. And this is where the daimyo, the lord, is going to be, because it's the most protected place. And there's even a lot of times a, a room at the very top where he can sit and look out at everything around in all directions. He can see how his samurai are doing in the fight. And that room could be really lavish. You got tatami mats and it's just really comfortable, fancy kind of place. Which, I don't know. If I were a samurai down fighting for my lord, it might kind of rub me the wrong way to know that he's just up there in a super comfy little room watching. I'm totally with you, but that's life today too. Work at your company, CEO's up in his cushy office, pushing papers. That's true. Life never changes. Yeah. So these castle keeps could be from two to five stories, but there are often more stories inside than outside. It figures into the defensive strategy because if somebody did manage to get to that keep and they maybe crawled in through a window or something, it would be disorienting if they you know, weren't sure what floor they were on or there were more floors than they were expecting on the inside. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Like yeah. you look at the keep from the outside and you kind of get an image in your head of like what it's going to be like. And it's like totally different inside. And that's mm-hmm. not on purpose. I didn't know that until I started doing this research. Yeah, pretty cool. And these buildings were made of, I think we mentioned before, wood. There would be like a wooden frame and then they would cover that in plaster. And you might think, why, why use wood? You know, why not use stone? It's more fireproof, right? And durable. But these wooden plaster walls were actually pretty fireproof because of that plaster. Yeah, the plaster really doesn't catch very well. So surprisingly fireproof. Yep. And then this whole structure is going to be sitting on top of that sloping stone base. Like it's going to be angled away from the building. Generally, I think at a 45 degree angle is how they build them. Okay. It's kind of like a big pyramid, except the top's cut off so it's flat. And that's where like the whole castle complex sits. Yeah. And even the buildings themselves often got their own smaller stone base built exactly the same way on top of the larger stone base for the whole castle complex. Yeah. And one interesting note I saw about this is that the big stone bases with a 45 degree angle actually helped keep them earthquake resistant. Mm. But it's thought to be coincidental. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently they didn't think about that when they were making it, but it just happened to be a really good design to prevent against earthquake damage. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They got lucky with that one. Yeah. 
which is part of why these some of these castles are still around today. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's the same kind of situation with those really old temple pagodas, too. Those are super earthquake resistant because they're really flexible and they can kind of sway. And I don't think that was planned either. I think it was kind of just an accident of the way they made them. Yeah, those are built in a similar way to the keeps I saw. Hmm. Uh, A lot of borrowing architecture from one area of building to the other. Yeah, yeah. I guess just from looking at pictures of them, you can kind of see a similarity in the style there a little bit. Yeah, in the style and in the way they built them. So in case people tried to climb this stone base, and again, there's a lot of defenses before anyone would even get to this point, and we'll get into that. But if somebody managed to make it there and they tried climbing up this stone base, the central keep would often have slits around the edges where people inside could pour hot sand down onto people or throw rocks down on them to keep them from climbing. That sounds fun. Yeah. Hot sand. That doesn't sound like the worst thing. I like I think of like boiling oil yeah. or tar or something, but I'm sure hot sand will mess you up real good yeah. real quick. But it's not ever something I thought of. Like let's heat up this sand really. But sand is like rocks. So I suppose if you got it like really, really hot, you're dropping molten rocks on people. Yeah. I'm sure it would not be comfortable. And I mean, large quantities of sand could be really heavy. It could be just as damaging as rocks yeah. like just knocking you down the side even if of it sand. wasn't hot dump enough sand on you it wouldn't be fun yeah also in addition to those you would see spaces in the walls that people could fire arrows or guns from mm-hmm. and these were called sama so you had rectangular slits for arrows those are called yasama and then you'd have round triangular or square slits for guns those are called teposama and then later on when cannons came to japan they had bigger spaces called Taiho-sama for the cannons. Yeah. And I think I mentioned earlier that Japan didn't have big cannons or a lot of cannons, but Japan made a lot of firearms. So they had guns. There were a lot of guns in Japan in this time period Mm -hmm. because they had the capability of manufacturing those at a pretty large scale. Yeah. And these holes would be present on all towers, gates, upper walls, like all over the place. So an attacking army is going to be taking hits from all directions the entire time they're trying to get to the keep. Yeah, Castle would probably have thousands of these holes. Yeah, and we saw these at Himeji Castle. They were everywhere. And it's interesting, the way that they're made is really smart because from the inside, if you're looking at it, it's just a really narrow little slit. Like, there's not a lot of space. But on the outside, it's almost like carved away around it. If that makes sense, am I doing an okay job of describing these? Yeah, really wide on the outside, really narrow on the inside. Yeah, so the idea is like if you're sticking an arrow out of this little slit, imagine that the wall is about a foot thick, right? If this slit was just as narrow all the way through that wall, you wouldn't be able to turn the arrow. You'd only be able to shoot directly in front of you, right? So they carve out the sides of it on the outside so that even though you're sticking it through this narrow slit, you can move it in all directions. You can point it up and down and side to side, and you have a wide area that you can shoot at without revealing yourself at all. Like, it would be really hard to take out a guy standing behind one of these shooting out at you. Yeah, it just gives you all the advantage. Mm -hmm. You know, it would take a perfect shot to get you through this thing, whereas you could just be tossing arrows or bullets into the attackers and doing a lot of damage. Yeah, pretty cool. 
I mean, I remember at Himeji Castle walking up the pathways leading to the gates and seeing those holes for the archery and the guns. I couldn't even imagine trying to attack these places. I, know. I was looking at those being like, I would be dead a hundred times over already, and I'm not even halfway to the main keep yet. Yeah, there are like these narrow little passages that you have to walk through to get to the main keep, but they're just every few feet on both sides of you, there are holes where people could just be blasting stuff into yeah. your brain. I don't see how anybody could get through that. And not only that, these pathways leading to the keep will go off in different directions in ways that you can't even see exactly which way they're going, or there'll be hard right angles to slow you down. Yeah. It is a, it is a killing zone. Yeah, exactly. Lots of killing zones. So we're getting into this stuff about the several rings of walls and moats and baileys that are going to be around that main keep that the opposing army is just going to have to get through with a lot of people and brute force. Yeah. Or and they can even try. once you get through some of these layers, they've got doors and passages that allow the defenders to swing behind the attackers as soon as they take anything and hammer them from both sides and take back anything they've lost. Yeah. So it's just a slog trying to attack one of these castles. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about the defenses on the main keep, but these this section is the main defense of the castle. It's going to be really tough for an attacking army to get through this. So the idea is you have these successive rings of walls and moats. And I remember Himeji Castle has three different moats, right? You got like all these different rings and any attacking army is going to have to get through each one and they're going to have to fight really hard to get even just a few feet into the next one. Just, just, just a bad time for them. Yeah. Yeah. Not fun. I would not ever try to invade one of these castles. Yeah. So I guess we've mentioned Baileys, but did we, can you define a Bailey? Paul, what's a Bailey? It's like a courtyard surrounded by walls. Yeah. And there could be a bunch of these. So the, the innermost bailey, this is the one with the central keep inside it, is called the Honmaru. And then outside of that, you have Ninomaru. And then outside of that, you got Sanomaru. And the second two, outside of the Honmaru, those are the ones where the samurai would live. They would have their living quarters there. They would also have storerooms. And as Paul mentioned earlier, the higher ranking samurai would be closer to the central keep. So Depending on the size of this castle complex, there could be a bunch of baileys, and any walls that aren't already protected by other structures could have a bunch of trees, both to camouflage the area so the attacking army doesn't really know what's going on back there, and also to stop any projectiles. So these baileys would not only be kind of these killing zones where attacking armies would get trapped and then shot at, I mean, people are living at this castle even at times of peace when nobody's attacking, so these would be places where they might have gardens too, and they would grow all sorts of trees. And the trees served both as like a part of the garden, but also as supplies. So they would plant pine trees that were used for year-round cover because they don't have leaves that they can lose during the winter. They would have bamboo growing that they would use for arrows, and then they would have oak trees that they could make into spears. Mm. So it's all, it's there to be pretty, but it's also there to be useful 
if they are attacked. Yeah, I saw that they used bamboo spikes, you know, like around walls to slow down approaching armies as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And caltrops. Yeah. Those are like those little wood or little metal spiky things that they'd throw on the ground. So anybody trying to walk is going to get stabbed in the foot. Yeah, there's always one spiky end sticking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would also cut down those trees and just kind of leave them there pointed out away from the central keep to slow down attackers too. Huh. I also saw that on like the outer ramparts sometimes, if they had like an earthen wall, they would plant trees as a defense and also as like a privacy thing. So it'd be harder to spy on what was going on inside the castle grounds. Yeah. So among these baileys, you would also see guard towers and turrets called Yagura and kind of self-explanatory what's a guard tower there's a guard standing up there and he he looks out and you know sees what's going on out there most gates are gonna have one if it's like a corner of the wall you're probably gonna have one yeah these towers could also be storage rooms for weapons that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and sometimes they would be stone if they were going to be storing gunpowder there stone is a bit safer yeah in that case they would be able to build a stone room yeah and again these could be useful at peaceful times too. They would use them for moon viewing. Isn't that That's nice? awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Let's go view the moon tonight. Yeah. So you mentioned gates too. Gates are the very first line of defense. Yeah. Somebody's trying to get in from the outside. There's going to be a big gate and those doors are probably going to be closed by the time your attacking <laughs> army shows up. Yes. And you're going to have a hard time getting through that gate because not only is the gate itself defended, once you get through that main gate, you're basically going to be stuck in this tiny room with another gate that's kind of at a 90 degree angle to the first gate so that you can't just like charge in there. They're going to be shooting at you from the outset right there. And you're not, yeah. it's kind of a bottleneck sort of area where they, they want to make sure that tons of people can't just flood in all at once. I was going to say, I wouldn't want to be the first one through the gate. And then I was thinking like, no, I wouldn't want to be the first 500 through the gate. Yeah. Like, it's just going to be nasty. Yeah, man. This type of warfare was so brutal. And you you kind of almost had to, like, brainwash people to be those first ones to go in there because it's, like, guaranteed that you're going to die. Yeah. But you need to believe in your cause so much that it you're okay with that. First know? hundred guys through the gate, maybe one of them survives. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yikes. So all of these defensive structures that we talked about The whole point of this is to send attackers on like the longest possible route to get to the center, to that central keep, which usually meant just sending them around in this big spiral. I mean, it's like the the keep is right there. Like I can see it, but it's going to take you forever to get all the way around that spiral, all the way to the center. And the whole time they're going to be shooting at you and trying to regain parts that you've already been through. And you'll notice that even today on some of the castles that are still around, even though the grounds on most of them aren't nearly as big as they used to be, still like the keeps right there, I can see it's like 100 meters from me, but you're walking like thousands of meters to get there through all the gates and courtyards and everything, winding around the grounds. Yeah. Man, they didn't make it easy. For real. But that was the whole point of the castles. Yep. And a lot of the castles these days don't have 
like the Baileys and all of this stuff around them anymore. Some of them are just the main keep because that's kind of the most visually impressive part. Mm -hmm. But like we said, Himeji Castle, when we visited that one, I mean, just walking through there, it's like if there were people shooting at us right now, (laughs) there's no way. There's no way you would get to the middle. I remember going to Osaka Castle and it's like a huge ground. Like it's a huge part in the middle of the city where this castle is. And then I saw that that's not even close to as big as the castle grounds were when it was actually being used as a castle. Yeah. I was like, wow, like it went out so far. It would take it forever to get to that keep. Yeah, pretty intense. Now that we've talked about how incredibly hard it is to invade a castle, you might not be surprised that Japanese castles were actually rarely ever invaded. It was considered more honorable for the daimyos to march your army out and meet the attackers in battle on the field. I think I'd want to stay in my castle. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the wisest choice, but that's just the culture. It didn't always happen. And when it didn't happen, it was much more likely to become a siege than it was to become a, let's invade this castle. And what exactly is a siege? A siege is surrounding a castle or town or whatever and cutting it off from all supplies and waiting for the people inside to either starve or die of thirst or betray each other. Sieges could take months or even years sometimes i saw up to a decade potentially yeah so long that the besiegers sometimes built their own castle nearby from which to run their operations from kind of hilarious that is wild (laughs) Yeah. yeah i mean these castles would be prepared with all sorts of supplies and their complex could be huge like they could have fields of crops in there and stuff they could have food for quite a while Yeah, absolutely. They always had a stockpile because they knew it was a possibility that they were going to get besieged someday. Um, So they often had food to last years. Mm -hmm. And there'd be a well inside the castle, so they'd have all the water they needed. Mm -hmm. And they have those trees for making any additional weapons that they need. I saw even in the garden sometimes they would have fruit trees. Mm. And hey, if you're uh, starving... You're definitely going to eat that fruit. Yeah, that would be useful. Yep. So yeah, castles were not often invaded. But if they were, and if they somehow managed to get to that central keep and the castle fell, the daimyo and his family and his retainers, the ones that are remaining inside while the enemies are closing in, they may commit seppuku. And what is seppuku? That is a type of ritual suicide that they would do to preserve their honor. And they had a certain type of sword that they would use to slit their stomachs open and die. Wow. Pretty heavy. Yeah. I heard that if you plunge the sword into your abdomen and you lack the strength or courage to finish yourself and yank it up and destroy all your insides... Your family was charged with coming and helping you finish your seppuku. Jeez. (laughs) 
Do we need to mark this episode as explicit now? Uh, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we do now. <laughs> That's serious, man. I cannot imagine. And like, you know, this was a big enough thing that, I mean, there's a word for it. Lots of people did this in history, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. a pretty, it's a bad way to go. Even in somewhat recent history. I guess. In Japan, at least. All right. Well, that was gruesome. Yeah. So, on a lighter note, what's it like visiting a castle today? They are so cool. Let's see. I've only been to a couple, I think. Which castles have you seen? My first castle was Osaka Castle. Same here. Beautiful. Very cool place. Yeah. And then... We visited Himeji Castle together. I believe those are the only two I've been to. Those are the only two I've been to as well. I'm going to be going to Hiroshima Castle, though, soon. That's awesome. my plan. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, I mean, they're just super cool-looking places. You can learn a lot there about Japanese history. Osaka Castle is a museum. Like, the entire inside of it, every floor is... Yeah. Yeah, so you're going to learn a lot about history, a lot of really cool stuff there. Yeah, and that's true of a lot of the remaining castles in Japan. A lot of them are museums. Himeji Castle didn't really have museum stuff, right? It was kind of kept in its more or less original state. It was more of like a cultural heritage site than a museum. Yeah. You could still learn a ton about the past, but you weren't walking by like plaques and exhibits the whole time. Right, I mean, at Osaka Castle... Like, it looks like a museum. It's all this stuff on the walls, and it doesn't look anything like it would have when people were living there. But Himeji Castle, the interior is pretty well preserved. Yeah. So you're going to see what it actually looked like when people were living there. Yeah, you got much more of a feeling of, like, seeing yourself living there, what it could be like mm-hmm. spending a lot of time in that castle. Yeah. And they let you climb all the way to the top floor, so you can get the whole view from up there, and see all the floors on your way up. The floors get smaller and smaller as you go up. Yeah. It's really cool. It is very cool. And Himeji Castle is described by the local people as the most beautiful building in the world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with them. It's There's a lot of other good buildings in the world, but man, it looks it looks awesome. It is pretty impressive. Well, I think that's all I got for today. Yeah. Highly recommend going to see a Japanese castle someday. Yeah, do that. Well, if you want to learn more or maybe see some pictures of these castles, check out our website at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind going to whatever service it was that you found our podcast at and give us a, a review, that would be super awesome. And what are we talking about next time, Paul? On the next episode, we're going to be talking about earthquakes in Japan. Yeah, there are a lot of earthquakes in Japan, like pretty much constantly. Yeah, not so much that you should fear it going there. Yeah, most of them are small. It's definitely a part of history and a part of life in Japan. Yep, and we're going to explore that and see how it has shaped modern cities in Japan. Yeah, it should be fun. Yep, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.